Samuel chapter 9. And if you read the subheading, it gives it away. It tells you everything that's going to happen today. Only not really, but sort of. So Saul has not yet been introduced. This is the introduction of Saul. So far we've, we've met... So, so have I told you guys my trading card, my Bible trading card idea thing? So you know how kids, you might have kids and grandkids, well, probably grandkids, with Pokemon cards or baseball cards, and they remember all the stats of everybody, and you got that guy that knows, and just, I'm like, I want to make, make Bible trading cards. So it's got like Samuel on there, and it's got all of Samuel's stats, and all of Samuel's story squeezed in, and uh, give that to kids, and they can memorize that. So some, since I've thought of that, and I've had that on my mind for a couple years, sometimes when I do my Bible study, I think in terms of what would be on their trading cards. So, so far in 1 Samuel, we'd have a Samuel card, right? This is the prophet chosen before birth, miracle birth. We'd have Hannah, his mom. We'd have Eli, the corrupt priest, Hophni and Phinehas, his corrupt sons. We're all the way into Samuel chapter 9, and now we meet Saul. And we're going to be with Saul for a lot of the rest of 1 Samuel. Um, in a lot of ways, up till now, Samuel has been the star of his own book. But starting today, Saul becomes the star, even though it's called 1 Samuel. So there's a man of Benjamin. This is the tribe of Benjamin. You, if you have a really cool study Bible that's got maps in the back, you could figure out where that was. Um, this would be fun homework for this week is to dig out your big old study Bible with the maps in the back and read about this adventure that Saul goes on and follow that path because it does. We'll talk in a minute. It's strategic. So there's a man of Benjamin. His name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia. Now, all of that is giving standing that he has been in Benjamin for a long time. He's a faithful family. This is, they can keep, they've kept track of this stuff because they've kept their land. Remember, under the law, they'd have the year of Jubilee where everybody would get their land back that they had lost. Well, Israel, there's no year of Jubilee ever happened. They never kept that law. But these guys have kept their land and kept their kept their property for all these generations. So that's significant. A man of wealth. Well, there it is. A man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. Wow. He's a stud. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. He's head and shoulders above, right? I mean, there, there's, he's a tall dude. He is handsome. He's rich. Come on. This is Prince Charming here. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. All right, so donkeys, what's the big deal? Imagine you're a farmer and you wake up and you go out and your tractor's gone. 
That's what this is like. This is, they use, they might have a dozen donkeys. It, it talks about how much land they have and how much wealth they had. So they're going to have multiple donkeys. Um, they're not going to pull a plow, probably. That's what, you know, oxen would pull a plow. But donkeys are definitely going to be trans. It's kind of like their pickup truck. It's kind of like um, all those semis that you see getting filled with the corn and in the fall that are driving down the road. That's what their donkeys would be. The donkeys would be pulling carts or stuff loaded on their backs, big and crazy, um, to haul stuff. They're all gone. So you wake up, they're all gone. This is a crisis. This is a big deal. So Kish says to Saul, his son, get one of the young men, one of the farmhands, one of the guys that works for him, get up and go find those donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalashah, but they did not find them. They passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, and they did not find them. So what's fun about this is the way news got around was from people traveling from city to city. And if you had a guest come, if you had a guest come down from Indy, you would say, come have dinner. What's the news from Indianapolis? And they would tell you what's going on in Indianapolis. And then you'd know. Now I know what's going on in Indianapolis. And then the next morning I'd go have donuts with Jim. And I'd say, we had company from Indianapolis. And Jim would say, what's the news from Indianapolis? And I would tell Jim, what's going on in Indianapolis? And the other people sitting around would hear that. And that's how news would spread. So if you've got a guy and his servant... And he's rich, and he would look rich. It'd be noticeable that he was rich. So he's going to stand out when he goes into these towns. And he's like, hey, have you guys seen a whole herd of donkeys? We've lost them. They're like, whoa, you lose your donkeys. That is bad. That is, that is not hurt. Did you hear that dude? There's this dude from, where'd he come from? From, uh, oh, come on. Where did they all started? Did you see that handsome tall dude that came through here? See that handsome tall dude that came through here that was looking for donkeys? No. What was he doing? Word's going to spread. So they're going to talk about this really handsome, really tall, rich guy that came through town looking for donkeys. Then he's going to go to the next town. Have you guys seen any donkeys? No. Oh, you lost your donkeys? Hey. So imagine he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, Shalashah, Shalem, and all of Benjamin. They're going all through their tribal area, drawing attention to themselves, because, right, you want people to hear that you lost your donkeys, because if anybody has seen them, you want them to know how to tell you. So they're spreading all this. Everybody knows who Saul is now. Really tall, handsome guy, rich, lost his donkeys. They came to the land of Zuf. Saul said to his servant who was with him, let's go back. Otherwise, my dad's going to wor quit worrying about the donkeys and he's going to worry about us. He gives up. But the servant says, okay, hold on. There's a man of God in this city and he is a man who's held in honor. All that he says comes true. How do you think that guy knew that? Right? Isn't that wild that he would know that? Well, he knows it because all of this talking, all of this, 
all of this. Um, they're trying to get talk to as many people as they can. There's all this interaction. Plus, the man of God is known. So the man of God has a reputation. Isn't it funny how they, they don't call him Samuel? Now, we know that Samuel has for 20 years been judging Israel, and then he makes his yearly tour, right? So people know about Samuel. This guy knows about this man of God in this city. All that he says comes true. So let's go there. Maybe he can tell us where we should go. So now they're going to seek divine intervention. They're going to, they're going to call on God. Isn't it kind of funny? Saul so far has not like, this isn't like a story about Abraham where he lost his donkeys and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, return to us our donkeys. It's nothing like that, is it? It's just really practical. Let's just go all over the place and try to find him. Saul said to his servant, if we go, what can we give him? The bread in our sacks is gone. There's no present to give to the man of God. What do we have? He wants to give him some kind of an offering. He wants to pay him for, for helping them. The servant says, here, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. So this guy's got a little bit of money, and it's not much um, so a shekel was what you would, like a, this laborer guy would probably get paid a shekel a day for his work. So if he's got a quarter of a shekel, he's got just a couple out, you know, I mean, like in, in modern terms, he's got like 20 bucks. He doesn't have very much money. But I got 20 bucks. We'll give him the 20 bucks. Let's see what that does. Then it has this little aside in Israel. When a man went to inquire of God, he said, let's go to the seer for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. Saul said to his servant, well said, let's go. They went to the city where the man of God was. So they're in Zuf. They go a little bit off of Zuf. They go to this. They, as they go up to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water. And they said, is the seer here? They said, he is. I love it how this is just as yet another interaction, right? how many interactions these guys are having. So now all the young women that are coming out to get water all see this really handsome, tall, rich man coming into the city looking for a seer. And we know exactly how this works, right? What did those women talk about the whole time they were on their way getting water after this? Who do you think that guy was? Why do you think he was looking for a seer? Why was he looking for a prophet? Have you ever seen him in town before? Have you ever seen anybody so tall? Have you ever seen anybody so rich? Have you ever seen somebody so handsome? So everywhere these guys go, they're leaving in their path this whole uh, scuttlebutt of what people are talking about and the conversation and the anticipation. This is totally, oh yeah, I'm not going to give it away yet, but this is exciting. So they ask him, they said, he is, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat because the people won't eat until he comes because he has to bless the sacrifice. Hmm. That's pretty handy that there's this big old sacrifice being prepared. 
And the man of God is there to bless this sacrifice. And they're going to wait until the man of God is there to do the sacrifice. Now go on up. You'll find him immediately. All right, I'm going to ruin a whole bunch of stuff. This is, well, just hold this in your head for about five weeks. That these women just said to him, they're preparing a sacrifice, but they won't do the sacrifice until the man of God comes. Because later on, that's going to be the exact thing that's the downfall. That's all I want to tell you. I don't want to spoil it all. Okay. So they say, go meet him. You'll see him. So they go up to the city. As they're entering the city, they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, up until this moment, all of this is kind of um, just like tough day on the farm kind of stuff. Right? You wake up, you're, you're left your lights on overnight, your car battery's dead, you got to go the extra trouble of jumping your car, but no, the battery really is dead because your alternator's gone out. And it's like all this inconvenience and they're trying to figure it out. And this is kind of a mundane story, right? And you kind of think, man, this is, uh, I mean, the Bible's cool. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correction and building up. This is kind of a, an ongoing, like, what's the point of all this? And then you get to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. And you see that not only is God with us in every part of our lives, but God really wants us to understand the scriptures. God really wants us to understand the Bible and to enjoy it and to, to read it and look at it. So sometimes he, he throws us a slow ball and he helps us out. And that's what verse 15 is. The day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send to you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you are going to anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Remember when Moses went to talk to God? And there's the burning bush. And God says, I have heard the cry of my people to deliver them. And for that reason, I have now come. Wow. The people, remember a couple chapters ago and then a couple chapters before that? The people were crying out, give us a king. Give us a king to save us from the Philistines. Give us a king so we can be like all the other nations and be tough. Because we're weak. And God said, ah, oh, doggone it, I want to be your king. But I care about you and I want to show you mercy. And so I will give you a king. So picture being Samuel. And Samuel has this vision from God. Tomorrow about this time, I'm going to bring a guy along and he is going to be, just notice what it said, the prince. You're going to anoint him as prince. Why is he the prince? Because Jesus is the king. It sounds cheesy, 
But it's true. God, God is still the king of his people. Even though the people want a king, a worldly king that they can pay taxes to and be enslaved to. God is still their king. And that's why that little wording gets funny. So imagine you're Samuel. Tomorrow about this time, I'm going to show you a guy and you're going to anoint him the prince over Israel because I've heard the people and what they want and I'm going to give it to them. So Samuel goes about his day and he's like, well, if I'm going to anoint some dude king of Israel, we need to have a feast. We need to have a sacrifice. And such and such city gets word to him. Hey, we what? We've prepared a sacrifice. Will you come? He's like, yes, I'll come there. God didn't say go to Ziph, go to this city, go to that city. Samuel's just doing what he does. And so now we've got the sacrifice all set up because it would take over a day to get that ready, to prepare that. And now Samuel is in this town. He's like, okay, God, who are you going to show me? In the meantime, Kish and Saul are like, where are our donkeys? And they're freaking out and they're running all over the countryside and they're going city to city. And so you've got, you've got God's will that's just trucking along here to give the people a king. You've got Saul's life. Where are my donkeys? Where are my donkeys? Where are my donkeys? And Saul has no idea that he is about ready. He is on a collision course with God's will. And Samuel knows it, but he doesn't know how it's going to happen. But he trusts God that it's going to happen. Isn't that awesome? So if you would have said to Saul, the first city he comes to, and he's like, hey, listen, you're about ready to become king of Israel. And so I need you to go all through the countryside and make sure everybody knows who you are. So when you get anointed king, they all say, oh, yeah, that really tall, handsome guy. I know him. God didn't tell him that. Why? Because Saul wouldn't have been able to handle that, right? Saul would have been done a terrible job at campaigning. But if God said, you know what? This is a perfect, op- this, however these donkeys got loose, this is the perfect opportunity for everybody in this region to meet their new king. So go look for him, dude. Go town to town. Ask everybody. So God used this seemingly mediocre, bizarre, dumb, inconvenient circumstance as Saul's election campaign, so to speak. So everybody in all these cities knows who Saul, son of Kish, is. And at the end of all that, he rolls into town and here comes Samuel out the door. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Restrain. Interesting. It's like the people want a king. God doesn't want them to have a king. But remember, this is the end of the time of the judges. And the time of the judges is summed up as Israel had no king So everybody did as they pleased. And so once the people have a king, 
they will have a thing to focus on and they won't necessarily do as they please, right? Give them some order. Then Saul approached Samuel. So, so there's Samuel. Saul sees him. He knows he's the seer. Well, no, no, no. Saul approached Samuel in the gate and he said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Where can I find this prophet? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. It's me. Go up before me to the high place for today you sure you are going to eat with me. We're going to have dinner. And in the morning, I'll let you go and I will tell you all that's on your mind. Whoa. So imagine, you know, Saul is panicked. He's like, my dad doesn't care about those donkeys anymore. He's going to worry about me. And Samuel says, you're going to come and eat with me and we're going to have a feast and you're going to stay the night and tomorrow morning I'll tell you everything you need to know and send you on your way. Uh, okay. As for you and your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them for they have been found. Don't worry about your donkeys. Wait, but Saul didn't mention the donkeys. But Samuel knows about the donkeys. Don't worry about it. And this next sentence is the best. For whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Who, who owns everything good in Israel? For, uh, for which person does everything that's awesome in Israel belong? It's kind of a weird question, right? Who, who owns the best of everything in Israel? Uh, for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you? And all of your father's house? Now this is getting even weirder. So the dude already knows about the lost donkeys and that they're fine. He invites him to dinner. He says, you're going to stay the night and then I'm going to send you on your way. And everything that's good in Israel is all yours. What? Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite? I'm the smallest tribe at one point. Um... There were no women in our tribe. We had to go steal women from another tribe at this weird dance thing. I mean, we are like the pipsqueak of all tribes. Yeah, that was in the book of Judges. And isn't my clan, like my family within Benjamin, is the humblest of all the clans? Why do you talk like this? Isn't that just like God? Like, God could have taken somebody from the biggest, baddest tribe... And all the most, I mean, he did pick a rich guy that's really handsome and really tall. But he could have picked these powerful people. And he goes, tiny tribe, tiny family, the one handsome dude in the family. Samuel took Saul and his young man doesn't give him an answer. That's the best. Like Samuel doesn't answer him. Classic in all the movies where the wise man just gives only the answers he wants to give, right? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man, brought them into the hall, gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 people. Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion that I gave you, of which I said to you, put this aside. Before Saul ever showed up, while they're getting ready for this whole thing, Samuel says, take this part of the sacrifice and save it. Keep this extra. Keep this off to the side for a minute. I'll tell you why later. He's saving like the really good cut of meat for Saul. Oh, so now bring it. So the cook brought the leg that was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see what has been kept is set before you. 
Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat it with your guests. He's not just talking about that cow leg or that lamb leg. All of Israel. All of Israel has been kept groaning for a king. And the people didn't know how to follow God as a king. So they needed a man who was a king. And they get it. And it's all been kept until this moment where Israel is given, basically given to Saul as their new king. So he ate with Samuel. They came down from the high place in the city. There's a bed for Saul and his uh, farm hand helper. They go to sleep. And they, it's the end. They're like, wow, what all has happened today? At least the donkeys are back home. We'll get a good meal at the end of all this. This seer talks a little crazy talk, but we're all done. And they wake up in the morning. All right, wake up so I can send you on your way. They go to the street and they go down and they start to leave the town. And Samuel says to Saul, tell your servant to go on ahead. I got some private business to talk to you with. And uh, so the servant goes on ahead of him and he says, all right, stop here for a minute. And I'm going to make known to you the word of God. We're going to stop. We're not going to go on. So don't look ahead. But gosh, this whole thing, like Samuel, the Samuel, like dreadlocks, prophet from age zero on, has a word from God for Saul. Saul, what did Saul do to get this word of God? Did he fast twice a week? Did he, did he pray on raw rice for nine hours on his knees to get God to reveal himself to him? He didn't. And this gives me a whole lot of hope that, gosh, what if all the stupid stuff, the little tiny, not overly religious, not incredibly righteous, just normal changing the oil in my car, getting a flat tire, getting inconvenienced, having somebody knock at my door at five o'clock when I'm getting ready to eat dinner and they're asking for a jumper. You know, just little inconvenient nonsense stuff. What if that is where God is working to lead us into his will? What if every little stupid thing, like so many times, I mean, here we are, right? We look for God in these moments where we, we light a candle and we sing worship songs and we pray to him. And that's all good. And I'm not discounting that. But we're around God for 167 other hours during the week. There's 168 hours in a week. So we should be looking for him to speak to us and to show us things all the time. And that, and I'm not directing this towards you specifically because I talk to you guys and you do this. And this is good and right. That's what the Christian life is, right? Is always looking to the Lord of, you know, this thing broke. It's inconvenient. You know what? Maybe God is doing something here. Maybe God's slowing me down so I can spend some time fixing this thing. Maybe it, sometimes it's just inconvenient. <laughs> But sometimes the Lord is in it. And gosh, here the Lord is in 
this so much. He's been three days traveling all over the countryside, basically advertising who he is. I'm Saul, son of Kish. And remember who I am in case you find your don my donkeys that you can contact me. And now he's about ready to get a word of God that it's going to be really helpful that everybody within a three-day journey knows who Saul, son of Kish is, right? And God used it all just to get him in the right spot at the right time. All right, I'll tell one more story. I was on an Indian reservation. There were all these tornadoes that whipped through and destroyed all these people's houses. And we went out there with John Lovelace and we were rebuilding their houses and uh, putting roofs back on and, and building siding and, and rebuilding outhouses and all kinds of stuff. And I go into this guy's house and I'm sitting there and he's just crying and he's angry at God. And he says, why did God make me be born an Indian on an Indian reservation that I would be so poor? Why did God destroy my house with a tornado? Why did God, he was just so upset. And I look back on it. I'm like, was I arrogant? Was I, uh, I was just trying with what I think God was helping me with and and I said, this will sound weird, but I wouldn't have come here if it wasn't a poor Indian reservation. And I wouldn't have come here if your house hadn't have been destroyed by a tornado because we just go wherever people need help. And here I am here to tell you today that Jesus Christ loves you and wants to be close to you and died for your sins. And I, I turned my Bible around and I show him in Job where it says no plan of God's will ever be thwarted. That no plan of God's can ever be stopped. And he looks at it and he just starts crying. He's like, nothing can stop God. And I'm like, yes, nothing can stop God. He says, can I have this? And he starts sliding the Bible towards him. And I said, I said, yeah, just let me get my notes out of there. Because I had all kinds of notes. And he's like, no, I think I'll just keep it like this. <laughs> I was like, there's like phone numbers, there's contacts, there's Bible notes, gone. And, uh, and he took it and he just kept reading and he, there he was. We were doing Bible study on Job and he kept it. And it was like, gosh, that poor guy, all kinds of horrible stuff happened to him. I'm not saying God caused all that stuff to happen. I think, I think sin and a fallen world made all that stuff happen. But God used it all to intersect his life with his will and to give that guy a chance to hear it again. I mean, I, I had to hear the gospel a hundred times before I got saved. And God's doing that in us, in our inconvenience, and in everybody around us today. All right, let's pray. Lord, do it. We praise you, Lord, for the way that you show us mercy, that you hear your people, when we cry for help, that you do deliver us every time. We praise you, Lord, that you work in flat tires and dead car batteries and stolen, stolen pickup trucks, just whatever. You work in all of these little simple things to draw us to you. And I pray, Lord, that whether we are the people having the inconvenient stuff happen to us or whether we get to be the seer and the prophet that brings your word to people that are hurting and people that are having problems. Lord, do it and show off 
and expand your glory. We love you, Lord. Amen.